it's interesting because when you're out there, you think you might have all this time to read all these books and, and you know, <laughs> contemplate all this stuff, but you really are present in what you're doing, especially 2017 in the Sierras. Like, I was really, when I say we're present in what we're doing, a lot of the challenges in the Sierra, like, you're not thinking about any, you're not thinking about your past, you're not ruminating about anything, you really are just, how am I going to go over this mountain pass right now, solving this problem right here in this moment with this breath? And so it, I think it is easy to end the trail and, and say, oh, crap, I didn't figure out the rest of my life. What was I supposed to do? Because you Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Larry, known off trail as Lonnie Advocat. She packed up her life and hit the PCT in 2017, the year of fire and ice. In this episode, we talk about the simple act of deciding to get on the trail the struggles on trail which caused her to flip north and hike southbound in order to finish, and how crucial it is to focus on the good, or get a little help from a friend to remind you. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Larry. Hey, we will master this technology soon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, it's good to finally get to talk to you. <laughs> I know it, it has been a little bit of a scheduling. Uh, I wouldn't call it a nightmare, a scheduling challenge. Yes, I, I have to apologize. I appreciate you being very patient with me. I get a month and a half off for summer and use that from start to finish. So I came back to Los Angeles on a Wednesday night and immediately started working my full-time job Thursday morning. And that week also I teach yoga twice a week. So my days just get, I just jam packed. It's like from one extreme to the next. It sounds like it. What is the job that you come back to? Um, I am currently an elementary counselor in um, South Central, Southeast LA. So a challenging job. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> challenging, rewarding, but yeah. <laughs> and and you maximize your, your summer vacation, it sounds like, to the limits. To the limit. So um, I think you, you already know that in 2017, I, I hiked the PCT. Um, and at that time I was working at a high school and I, I had to, um, I had to quit that to do the PCT, but that kind of, um, that experience was, you know, it's like a drug that, that you continue to crave more and more of. So coming back to a regular job, anytime I do get a vacation, it's like, how can I use every second of that time to try to meet this one experience I had a few years ago? So I definitely maximized that vacation time for sure. Now, you so you quit your job at the high school to take mm-hmm. 
five months off? Was it, is that what it became? Five, six months off? Mm-hmm. How did that feel? Like, what was the nerves or, or not nerves going into doing that? <laughs> it was actually quite a saga. You know, it took, I, I've, I've read a little bit about your journey and exploration and even doing this podcast. And I know that you're, you're on a journey to hike the PCT. And um, so I feel like this is a very relevant question because in a lot of ways, the journey to actually just get to the trailhead was one of the hardest, I would say, like harder <laughs> than even hiking the trail. Yeah. So it, it took a while, you know, it, it once was this thing that I romanticized and then became this thing that I thought, oh, maybe I actually could do it. And once you step into the zone of maybe I actually could do it, it becomes like, well, how do I make this happen? So at the time, you know, I was living alone, so paying for an apartment. I have two cats, so I have pets that I need to deal with, insurance. And, and I had a job that was not a clock-in, clock-out job. It was a high school counselor. So it, it wasn't the kind of thing where I said, I'm tired of just showing up every day and I want to change my life. It, you know, I, I was proud of what I did. And so it really was the whole process was very difficult. So I, I asked my boss, I, it took me a while. I, I went in stages. I, I consulted with an assistant principal who I felt comfortable with. And I said, do you think Mr. Delfino would grant me a leave of absence? And, and she kind of helped me build up the courage to chat with him about possibly taking a leave of absence. And when I first spoke to him, he, he wants, he has an adventurous heart and I know that he wants to be the kind of person that can just say yes to all these things. And so at that time he said, yes, you can take a leave of absence. You've been here for a long time. We value you, blah, 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 blah. Go do this and let us know when you come back. So as soon as he said that, I was on Amazon <laughs> that night ordering boxes of clip bars, boxes of, you know, any other, any resupply that I could get as so this was maybe in around October of, of that school year. As we got closer to winter break, I started to really think about how is this going to work? Can I afford to do this um, and pay for who's going to watch my pets? And can I also afford my apartment while I'm gone? And so I realized that this could work if I know I have a job to come back to. So I checked in with him one more time. And it was then that he had a very difficult conversation with me about how he really wanted to make this happen, but he spoke to HR and long story short, he can't grant a leave of absence for this and they need to fill my position, but he fully supports me doing this and it would be on good terms that I left. And it was kind of just a situation where I had not planned for quitting and not returning at the same time. I couldn't turn back now and he knew that too. Yeah. So I, I was I was pretty devastated and and torn when I left work that day as to what to do and how to make it happen. But but I did. <laughs> um it, it's interesting that no that you say that because that's kind of one of the things that I'm finding at this moment is, you know, now that I'm kind of putting it out there that I'm going to do the hike, there's mm-hmm. Maybe not constantly, but repetitively. Mm-hmm. Questions and opportunities and dilemmas, you know, that are that are sort of challenging. Are you really going to do the hike, or do you want to make this other decision and do something else here? You know, you've got this other opportunity, mm-hmm. and it's that's constant, almost like the universe testing. Are you really serious about this, or are you just kind of serious? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's and it's going to go in waves probably until you get to the trailhead. And, you know, there's, 
different, I'm sure you've spoken to at this point, so many different hikers and, and people coming from so many different backgrounds. I'm in my mid thirties and this is not that normal of a time to quit your job. This is when you're supposed to be in your career. So it's an odd time to, to have the, you know, to, to stop what you're doing and, and go on a through hike. And so because of that, I already, you know, I have healthcare, I have an apartment, my, my dad lives on the opposite coast. And so I wasn't in a position where I was going to pack my stuff up and um, put it, you know, in my parents' house and, and come back to my parents' house. I needed to figure out a way to, to return to the life, to somewhat of the life I had. And again, everyone has their own mindset about how they want to do this. But there was a part of me that also anticipated the return being difficult in and of itself. And I knew that if I had a grounded space, if I could come back to somewhat of a routine, that would be very helpful. But that required a lot of preparation and saving a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and and we can come back to that. But I think you yeah, you're in a very interesting time. And one of the things that I that really kind of kind of push and I and I knew I was going to do it and you know you're going to do it it's just it's just that self-talk when all of those other things arise you know that mm-hmm. you need to kind of work through but I so at the time I was a high school counselor and um working at a school that was um you know a lot of the students are first generation in this country and our focus was on helping them get out of inner city and into college And for a lot of these kids, even going two hours away to college is a really big deal and almost discouraged culturally by their family because they don't want them to go very far and that's too far for them. And so a lot of my conversations on a day-to-day basis with my students were about trusting yourself and doing what you know is going to help you grow and knowing that you can always come back and change your mind and that you're strong enough to overcome any mistake and you know, taking risks and all sorts of Hallmark card quotes and things like that. And so I, re- I realized I, ha- I like my job, but I could stay in this job and sit in an office with kids year after year and start to get older and detached from the words that I'm saying. Or I can take a pause and actually do something that is also a risk for me that I don't know how it's going to come out. And I don't know exactly what my plan is when I get back and kind of reconnect to some of the things I'm saying in the hopes that when I return, I'll still, I'll maybe be a little bit of a stronger counselor because I think it's important, especially in my role to also live life, to be able to inspire them to live life. That's kind of how I, I played with my um, good angel. <laughs> shoulders. <laughs> Did you bring the hike into any of those conversations? Um, once I decided, once I officially decided that I was going to, to go after finding out I couldn't take a leave of absence. I wrote a letter to the students and I went around individually to all of the senior classes to tell them in person. And uh, this was, you know, the second, it was second semester, so it was in the spring. So it was towards the end of the year. And I was very, very nervous about doing that because I, I, especially with the seniors, I'd known them since they were freshmen and we've been working so hard to get them towards graduation and college. And I was very surprised um, but very proud when I would go into the classrooms and give this whole little speech, which is exactly what I told you. Mm-hmm. They were so excited. They don't even know what the PCT is, but they <laughs> knew, <laughs> but they could understand like doing something that is a dream for you. And I think they're at a time in their lives where they want to see adults, especially educators, practicing what they preach. I think that's not something that they see all the time. Yeah. 
And so that once I once I made that public to them, it became a conversation. But what's funny is that I so I left for my hike in May and they graduated in June and this is Los Angeles. So the first, you know, five to six hundred miles of trails is in a couple hours of Los Angeles. So I told them if I get to um, Agua Dolce by the time that they're going to graduate, I'll come back into Los Angeles and come to their graduation. And I made it and I showed up and I was wearing a cap and gown with my hiking outfit under. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a friend who, I have some footage of it. Um, if at some point later you remind me, I can try to search through and send you, but it was pretty cute. <laughs> that is pretty brilliant. And I, yeah. think, I think it's also though, like that perfect symbiosis of walking the talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and particularly because you could show up uh, with, you know, your hiker trash Vogue and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and see them. Yeah, I think they thought that was really cool. And it was, yeah, I, I was really glad that I was able to keep my word because I think it really meant a lot for me to leave and then show up for that because that was so important mm-hmm. to them. So that was cool. Yeah. What, um, can I ask, what are some of the what do you do for work or what are some of the challenges that have come up for you in trying to plan your through hike? Well, I do production. So film and television production. Um, Mm -hmm. And some of the things that have come up are, you know, I have conversations with uh, friends, coworkers, whatever. And they're like, okay, yeah, we want to kind of get this project up and going in like early spring and, you know, da, 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 da. And I'm like, Mm-hmm. Um, could we <laughs> possibly, or, uh, or like, I, I so want your project to go. So, you know, maybe I just have to bow out and in, in this moment. And, and I, I've been lucky in that at this point, uh, you know, the people that I've had that specific conversation with have said, have literally said, you know what, we can hold it until, you know, October, September, October, whatever, um, until you're back. Which obviously in the backside of it makes it easier to just say, yeah, I'm going on the hike. But, mm-hmm. but sort of at the beginning of that conversation, it was sort of like, you know, that stomach falling. Oh, I got, I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss this shit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to miss this. Mm-hmm. But I've got to do this. I've got to do this thing. Uh, so it's, it's that dichotomy. Um, and it's also, it's interesting. The, the universe, friends, family, whatever. Mm-hmm. are also, I think, constantly asking, I think, leading questions that, you know, if you say yes to whatever their question is, it sort of implies that you're not doing something else, or you're not going to fully do mm-hmm. something else, you know, and th- those questions could be, you know, whatever, you know, are, so are you going to join us for summer vacation, da 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 somewhere? Or are mm-hmm. you going to do this? Or do you have to go there? Or, you know, What's on your mind for this? Mm-hmm. Can you get into this nice program that teaches X, Y, Z, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But it's constantly the either reinforcing, yes, I am doing this. I am prioritizing this above all else. Or you slide down the mountain. Do you think once the permit system opens and you get a permit, it'll become more of a concrete, this is what I'm doing on this date. And you'll be able to say that to folks. Yeah. I think that that <laughs> helps. It, it shows seriousness because I, I was literally just having this conversation with somebody the other day and I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I need to start 
really planning for this. Like I need to still buy a sleeping bag and a tent and a this and a that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you know, and saying all of those things out loud sort of makes people go, are you really serious about this? Mm -hmm. And I think it, it sounds like you have, you, you have my, we have, we have a similar habit of, of saying out loud all all of the anxieties and all of the stresses and all of the miscellaneous things. But the reality is once you put a date in your calendar, all you need to tell yeah. people is I'm doing this thing on this date. Yeah. The rest you're going to, you're going to take care of that. I mean, it's just one afternoon you go by your sleeping bag, you know, you're going to take care of that. So if it feels like a lot, um, it feels like a lot in the play. I'm telling you, I can, I can 100% and I will be here for you even after this podcast. If you need, if you Thank need you. to, to vent or get some, shoot some ideas about the, the process of detaching from society, even just like for me figuring out how to deal with my health care. <laughs> like that's another big one. Um, yeah. Everything was just felt like a lot and felt like it was, it was, it was trying to pull me away from the PCP and keep me here. And what a feeling when you first step foot on trail and you realize, Oh my God, I didn't have to check my email. <laughs> I don't know. I'm doing this one thing and paying attention to one thing. Yeah. There, there was a moment this earlier this summer when I was, you know, working on a project and I was still, you know, obviously doing the podcast and I had some other things that I was also trying to get done. And I, I took a morning for myself and I drove, I was up in Portland and I drove out to the ocean, you know, for the morning mm-hmm. basically. But as I was driving, I was literally like, Oh my God, I wish I was on the trail right now. Cause I would only have one thing to think about. And that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so it's, I still have not yet mastered. I mean, I've gone on as big a hike I can with every vacation that I have since coming back from the PCT. And I still feel like I have not mastered bringing that trail then back home with me. And I know that I'm not totally Zen all the time on trail, especially that year on the PCT, (laughs) but we had all sorts of other logistical 2017 issues, but yeah, it's really tough. It's really different lifestyles. What have you done with your summers the last couple of years after the PCT? Um, so last year, uh, my partner and I hiked the Colorado trail mm-hmm. and side note, I met him on day three of the PCT. <laughs> <laughs> so did you guys hike together? Uh, so I met him on my third day and we ended up yeah hiking the next f- five months together. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, kind of been inseparable, inseparable since then. So the, yeah, last summer we hiked the, I guess the Colorado trail in this recent, I guess that's two summers ago now, this recently, we just did a big chunk of the PCT and, um, kind of added on some stuff in the Sierra. So we hiked from Tehachapi to Forrester Pass and then went back to Mount Whitney and did the high Sierra trail, which goes east to west. And, um, then made a loop back to the PCT just south of Bishop Pass and went um, as far as Yosemite. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you were, you were ranging. <laughs> yeah, we, it was interesting because we, so to Hatchapi to Walker Pass was a section that really just ruined me in 2017. It's a, it's a desert section and we went through that year in a heat wave, which was not a great idea. And I, 
it just, I felt my energy just going down, down, down. It was very difficult to eat. It was, we were not good at hiking at night. It was just, it was a mess. So it was really cool to go back there now and just get through that section much faster, feeling much stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a whole different perspective. Every time I go back to the PCT, any area of it, it's just such a different perspective. And my memories now are so strong. And, you know, the PCT is not that far, like I said, from Los Angeles. So there's spots on it yeah. that I regularly run. But my memories of when I was through hiking are just some of the strongest memories I have. So it almost stops me in my tracks sometimes. But when we got to the Sierra, we were also curious. This is another big snow year. So we wanted to see how it compared to our year. So. And, and how did it yeah, we were at work? Um, it was not as bad as I thought. So when we, it was interesting because when my summer vacation started, when we started into Hatchapi, I looked back at my blog. So I kept a, a blog on, in 2017 and I had a post for every day on trail. And we actually were into Hatchapi the exact same time this year as we were in 2017. So it was a great comparison. And the, the snow, so it's just been a little bit colder. Like we had late snow and it hasn't, there wasn't a heat wave yet then. So the snow lingered and that's what made it much. Um, that's why the snow levels just remained so high throughout the summer. So we were nervous that it was going to be possibly worse in 2017, but it really wasn't, it really wasn't, it was similar. And I think we were a little braver going through it, having had that experience. And once like mid July hit, stuff started melting really fast. And I would say that there was less snow than there was in 2017. That being said, there were still water crossings that I would never want to do alone. Right. It it sounds like from, I mean, even in a good year or a less snow year, the Mm -hmm. Sierra water crossings just don't sound like anything you should mess with by yourself. Well, to be honest, so one of my first um, big backpacking trips was the John Muir Trail. I, I say that that's my that was my gateway drug, mm-hmm. and I did that in 2015 in July, and it was a drought year. And there was like, I mean, any water crossing was maybe at most up to my ankles. And I've gone back because you know the Sierra again is not that far of a drive from here. So on the weekends, I'll often go up there, especially if I have a long weekend and go for a long run or a long hike. And when the when the season is, you know, when it's not the middle of the summer, there, there's been a spot in particular near Mirror Pass that I remember um, my foot getting stuck and Charlie or Cos- Cosmos' trail name had to come back in and kind of help me get out. And we went back in September last year to just go run a section near Mirror Pass and there was no water there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, hmm. I think there are, I, in, in drought years, it's definitely managed. It's easy. Right. You're and just walking. And really lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess the drought years mm-hmm. then bring this, the, the, uh, the fires too. So. Yeah. I mean, we had that too. Oregon you were was, just a, lucky. was a nightmare. Yeah. We just had everything, but you know, even if it is a, another big snow year, um, which I have a feeling cause since, well, who knows? I don't want to predict anything, but you'll be fine either way. But if it is a big snow year, I just, in my head, when I started the PCT, I had gotten to a point, especially in my long distance running, that I was comfortable going into the Sierra alone if it were a normal or drought year. But I knew that year that I was just going to find a group 
to, yeah. to meet up with. I just knew that it, I just wasn't going to do those crossings alone. And I think even if you, for whatever reason, are alone entering the Sierra, if there's a water crossing that makes you uncomfortable, just wait and someone will be there. Mm-hmm. There's people there. There's people around, especially once you get close to the John Muir Trail. Yeah. No, and I think that's, I, I get, you probably got the question as well. And I get a lot of the question of, are you doing this by yourself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I get that often. Oh, I'm sure. Particularly women. Particularly women mm-hmm. get that question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what is your answer to that question when people ask? My answer is I started alone, <laughs> uh, but I only can't. I, I started alone, but I only camped alone once, and it was not on purpose. Ooh, do tell. <laughs> um, I feel like this is a story that doesn't always translate well as a story, but I'll do my best. There was so for once we left the desert. I let me backtrack even more. So I am a long distance trail runner, and that was what my primary hobby was before I discovered backpacking, and so. As a runner, I when I started the hike, I'm not I'm not that big of a person. I'm like five three, and if I'm running a lot, you know, just under you know like maybe 110 or 12 pounds, and that's pretty low for me. So losing any weight on the PCT was pretty intense. Like I didn't want to do that. And when I got to the desert, it was just 115 degrees. It was difficult to eat, and by the time I got to Lake Isabella, I looked pretty pretty emaciated. And I think the lowest I weighed myself when I went to a doctor's to, you know, to check in when I was having some issues was like one of six, which a lot of men will lose 20, 30 pounds and they're fine. But me losing five pounds, I could, I really felt weak. And so at that point I felt like I was, I used to say that I'm the back of the bus. So for our group, I was just always, I just felt very slow and very sluggish and was always coming in behind everybody. So this persisted, unfortunately, for me for quite a while. And I started to feel strong again by the time we got to maybe Tahoe area. And there was a night and there was a, when we went through the Sierra, our group varied between like anywhere from seven to sometimes nine folks. When we got towards Belden, I was feeling much stronger and Charlie and I were stopping to get water and we were both like feeling really good, listening kind of in our own zones. And so we made a plan to meet at a particular camp spot. And we also said that a couple miles earlier, we would stop, we would possibly stop and have dinner at an overlook. And so we had those spots mapped out. And so we went on, you know, at our own paces and everyone's used to me being behind. So at this point I took off in front of him, assuming that he would just pass me at some point or just get ahead when I got to the spot where we were supposed to meet for dinner, I didn't see him. Somehow I didn't see him and I kept going. So I got to our, cam- our designated camp spot and nobody was there. And I was very confused because I'm usually the last person. And I figured like the tent's going to be set up, like everyone's going to be eating already. And nobody was there. So I was a little confused. And I looked at Gut Hooks and there was another campsite a mile and a half further that had a similar name. So I thought, oh man, did they, did he like decide to keep going and tell everyone else? So I kept hiking and I got to that spot and nobody was there. And so I started like yelling people's names and obviously no one can hear me and no one's around and I didn't know what to do. Um, And so I set up my tent at that further spot and sat by the trail for a while 
my phone was about to die. Not that I had service anyway, but, um, nobody came by. I like had a very restless sleep and woke up very early and sat on the trail and still nobody came by. But I thought at least like, even if a stranger comes by, I can say, did you see Charlie behind you or did you see anyone else? And so I just ran back to that other, that early previous campsite that morning and saw the other part of my group and said, Oh my God, where have you guys been? Where's Charlie? And they said, he's looking for you. He's up on this hill. He thought like he went down the wrong trail and got hurt or something. And so we just, he didn't, had never considered that I was ahead and didn't know how he missed, like neither of us understood how we missed each other at the dinner spot. So it was this whole like misunderstanding and he ended up like running all these extra miles looking for me, thinking I was injured Thank goodness someone had an inReach and was able to send a text message to say she's here. We're we're all going to be in Belden. We're reunited. But that was the only night I spent alone, <laughs> which for us was pretty traumatic. But in retrospect, as I tell the story every time, I'm like, that must sound like we're such. But it's like, why can't we just camp by ourselves? But we really thought something happened to one another. Yeah, but I think the story is less about really you camping by yourself and really more about what you were expecting in terms of meeting up and who was going to be there and when they were supposed to get there and stuff like that. And that was what was causing a lot of stress. Yeah. 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 And you know, there's that lack of control when you're in the wilderness of, I can't, I don't have technology that works out here to communicate. So I just have to be patient and I have to, you know, try to problem solve in a different way. Yeah, totally. Now, what did you guys end up doing Because I'm assuming that that's not the last time that you made plans to meet (laughs) up somewhere. So how did you potentially solve the problem of miscommunication or it wasn't even a miscommunication. Mm -hmm. It was just a, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, for the most part, we, we tend to have a pretty good rhythm where we'll usually start off kind of, you know, chatting it up and hiking together and then we'll spend a lot of the day kind of zoning out or both of us really like to listen to podcasts and having our own space and going our own pace. And for most of the hike, I would usually, you know, he would usually wait for me at at some of the major water sources or, um, you know, intersections and, since the PCT, that's kind of our unspoken system too. There's, there's some times here or there where, you know, I get in my own, in my head, if I'm falling behind, I'm like, why didn't you wait for me at the top? Or why didn't you wait for me at this mm-hmm. water? But really nothing detrimental has happened since then. I think we've got a pretty good rhythm of we're never really too far away from each other. And if there's been a long period of time, I think we both kind of know like what types of, you know, if there's a juncture, wait there and, and let's catch up to each other. So it hasn't really been too big of an too big of an issue since since that one time. I'm sure that one time also added a little bit of paranoia. <laughs> I, I've taken to saying paranoia what's, is what keeps you alive. <laughs> but he, you know, he, I'm so, I don't know what my hike would have looked like had I not met him and you know, had him as a partner because by the time I got to the Sierra, you know, I met him day three and your relationships with people in general on trail are expedited because you spend 24 seven with them. And unlike regular world, 
you're meeting this person for the first time. And maybe within that first day, you're already talking about like when you're going to take a poop and all of <laughs> like, you know, anything under the sun. And so you get close to people in a very expedited, very raw way, which is one of the great things about trail. It's just an authentic connected experience, which is the opposite of what you find in a city like Los Angeles mm-hmm. for the most part. So it was nice to have that, but he, you know, by the time we got to the Sierra, we had been hiking together for a month or so, a month and a half, maybe close to two months. And I was, I was weak after the desert. And so he very easily could have finished this hike much faster and probably beaten all the fires if he didn't stay with me. And staying together as a group, it wasn't just the two of us, we were with a group, but he in particular, I know was my person at water crossings and, and really a big inspiration and motivator for me. I don't know that I could have, I wouldn't have been able to anticipate the physical, you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to anticipate in advance that I would get sick from the heat in the desert and that that would make me feel weak and that that would linger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so him being there to not make me feel bad for being slow and just being very patient and just being a good, you know, partner was so, I think to me, it just was so awesome. (laughs) Really was made that hike what it was. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it sounds like sort of once you guys found your, your, your pace, do you think being in the desert, do you think that that was, because I'm, I've got to assume that you've done trail running in the desert or in a hot condition, conditions. Yeah. And also I teach hot yoga. And you teach hot yoga. So like, what yeah. do you think was happening for you in the desert that was causing such a, well, I, such an I issue? even though, you know, I live in Los Angeles and, and I'm used to exercising in hot climates. It's different when you're sitting 24 seven in an unshaded dry area when it's 115 degrees. I mean, when I tell you that it was a heat wave, mm. it was, it was not a condition that I'm that I'm used to. And most people were just either hiking through the day and just trucking on or a, a big group of us were, quote unquote, taking a siesta during the day and then hiking early in the morning and at night. But what happened is we would try to rest during the day under like one yucca tree that provided just a sliver of shade that we would kind of follow around as the day went on, like a sundial. Um, mm-hmm. But as we're sitting there, we're still sweating and just right. like super hot. So it, I think it was exhausting even just sitting there. And like I said, that heat caused me to not feel hungry. And I had like a very weird stomach pain that developed. It was very hard for me to put into words or to to describe to anybody or to really pin down what was going on. It wasn't Giardia. It wasn't, it didn't seem like it was a waterborne bacteria or anything. I, it, it felt to me kind of like cramps, but it would happen after I would eat, it would happen first thing in the morning and at random times and just kind of stop me in my tracks with just this pain. And that caused me not to want to eat very much. And that's when I started to lose weight and lose some of my muscle. And I, there were a couple of times I went to the emergency room just to figure out like what's going on. And a lot of the doctors I saw said, 
we can't tell you what's going on until you're done doing this crazy thing you're doing because there could be a thousand things going on. So you could be the high is whatever. It could be any number of things. And so it wasn't, I don't, I still to this day, don't really know what happened. I just know that I, there was a couple months where I really didn't feel good. And, and that, that period of time of not eating enough really set me back. And then you're also, if I'm correct, you're also vegan. Yes. So you have that challenge. And I know that you sent yourself boxes and stuff like that, but Mm -hmm. it would have, I would assume limit like what you could have picked up to augment that or to change that out in any of the town, the given towns. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm that's, that's come up before and on trail, like you said, I sent myself boxes. So I had calories available to me. I was never deprived of that because I, I, I did an insane amount. That was part of why the journey to get to the trail was so stressful. I did an insane amount of prep work because I wanted to front load all of my stress and avoid having to get to a town that wasn't going to have nutrient dense food for me. Mm -hmm. And so I had food available and I was pretty good about getting into towns and finding somewhere with a veggie burger or a beer or a bag of avocados and, or, you know, a, a vegan pizza when I could, which was quite often. It's just, I had no appetite and that was really, I mean, I even, I, one of my staples is I have a little, a little, uh, what is it called? A soft flask that I keep olive oil in and I bring that every section and it's, it's, you know, cause I know that when I'm not even hungry, just putting that on whatever I am eating will help add calories on without me realizing it. So, and it tastes great. So I tried to stay on top of that. I just, could not swallow my food. I just didn't want it. It was very hard to eat. Yeah. So I don't even know, like if I wasn't vegan, I don't know that I would have wanted food still then, no matter what it was. But I, and I do hear people talk about, you know, it's not even necessarily about the heat so much for some of them. It's about, I cannot eat another cliff bar or I cannot eat another Mm -hmm. (laughs) oatmeal or ramen Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. I just, I cannot even put it in my mouth and force it down. Like I am so over it. And so, and the result ends up being the same, except Mm -hmm. that, you know, when they, if they don't have dietary restrictions, they have a few more options just to try to get calories, you know, some, something to taste better or or taste. Like what what was hard for me is that even stuff that would be a treat, that would be, that I would definitely want to eat. I just kept getting the stomach pain every time I ate. And so that caused me to not want to eat even great stuff. Cause I really did go out of my way to, um, so when I hiked the John Muir trail, I did it pretty much 100% on pro bars and I could never look at a pro bar again after that (laughs) (laughs) ever again. The only thing that I can stomach and that I actually really love are the bolts, but, and I think I can slowly come back to some of the bars, but at that point I knew I wanted I didn't want, I didn't want primarily bars. I knew I wouldn't eat them. And so I really geeked out on using Amazon and Trader Joe's as my finding varieties of snacks to put in all the boxes. So I, I did like pre-plan for food boredom. So I did all that I could to try to cater to myself. This mm-hmm. thing, I just, I couldn't, it just, I was having a pain. It's just kind of when you're sick and you just can't yeah. stomach anything. Yeah. 
you, and it you had it because I wanted directions. to. Yeah, you had it from both yeah. directions. Both you had no appetite, and then when you did eat, you were having problems. Yeah. Yeah. What did you find that fit your needs as uh, for the vegan dietary restrictions? What 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 were you using? What did you find? What did you send yourself? Like from for meals or for snacks or either or both. When I for meals when I was on trail, I bought a um, Harmony House is a brand that makes a variety of different vegan dehydrated soups, and they also sell individually different. Like you can buy a whole thing of vegetables if you want. So I thought that was actually pretty cost effective and I bought a couple, they sell a um, $50 bucket or box that has, I forget the number, the amount of them in it, but a decent amount of soups in it. There are two flavors of ramen that are vegan. So that came along and um, I told you I brought olive oil for every, and pro bar, no, no pro bar, (laughs) no pro bars. Uh, Probar Bolt, I enjoyed. I really still, I like kind bars and anything like that where you can see the nuts and you can see the kind of taste. It's like the closest I can get to a vegan Snickers, basically. (laughs) It's like a chocolate kind bar. So I like that kind of, Trader Joe's has their own brand of that. But in addition to that kind of stuff, chips became a staple for me. (laughs) And any kind of salty, snacky foods, nuts, having mixed nuts was really helpful, especially for calories and fat. Lately, I've been trying to, over the, since coming back from the PCT, I've been trying to figure out better ways to bring more whole foods on trail, uh, which is, you know, it's so challenging to figure out that weight and calorie ratio, but it wasn't that difficult for the PCT using, you know, snacks from the grocery store. Some, I would bring some bars just to have, okay, I know this thing is going to have this amount of protein in it, so I'm going to just put a couple of those in every every bin but it's a lot of processed food yeah it, it, i think it is the way of life mm-hmm. when you started middle of may correct uh-huh yeah now what made you choose the middle of may versus something a little earlier on the on the calendar the the snow in the sierra i knew okay. i knew that the snow was not gonna melt very quickly and at this time, I was still working. So the longer I could spend in the semester at my work, the better it was. So if I had left when a normal year, when people would leave at end of March or April, that's a month earlier than I would have left. And it's a month earlier that I would have had to deal with all of my intimidating conversations with my boss <laughs> <laughs> and leaving and wrapping all that up. And so I, yeah, I... I knew that I didn't want to, I wasn't going to stick around in Kennedy Meadows for a month waiting for snow to melt. So mm-hmm. I think there were, there were quite a few people that started late that year anyway. Right. Yeah. And this year seemed to be really interesting. Like people ended up, or I saw a lot of people starting early, um, kind of at the dates that you were just talking about, which almost, mm-hmm. it seemed like, I mean, if you could, if you could handle the the cold and the, of the snow seemed almost safer for them than if they were a little bit later when you got the melt and all of a sudden the, the, the creeks and the streams were raging. 
Right. Yeah, I've, I've thought about how that comparison is. What's interesting is that I told you we were in the Sierra basically the same time this year that we were in 2017. Mm-hmm. And I did notice that it seems like there was a lot more through hikers that slipped this year than there were our year. There were not very many groups that were that we passed by. And we were on Mount Whitney around the same time this year as we were in 2017. And there was nobody at Crabtree Meadows, the campground. There's nobody there. So it it did feel a little, I think everyone's schedule this year was kind of unique in whatever plan they all had individually, but it seemed like people were all over the place. So I think maybe they started early and flipped. Yeah. Well, and, and you guys flipped as well, but for completely different reasons. Yeah, we got to Shasta and... When you're in Shasta, you're basically on I-5. So if you're going to flip, that's a, that's, a, that's a spot that's very, <laughs> very easy. But we got to Shasta. It was towards the end of August. And that was when the border closed down because of the fires near Ashland. Mm-hmm. And again, for our year, Oregon was just a logistical nightmare. Everything, the Eagle Creek yeah. fire happened. And then every, like all of Oregon, it felt like caught on fire. But in addition So once we got our first notice that there was going to be a closure and we were going to have to miss miles, that was kind of a, you know, a bummer for us. But I was also chatting with a couple of my friends who had hiked the trail before and every single person I spoke to told me the same thing, which was, it's getting late in the season. And if you have an opportunity to see Washington before storms come in, do it. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they're basically like, you're not going to make it or you're not going to make it comfortably if you keep going the way you're going. But if you flip now, you can have an enjoyable hike in Washington. And so it was a tough decision. And by the time we decided to flip, which was in Shasta, we had a beautiful out and back to the border and like a beautiful journey through Washington. But there was a storm maybe a couple days behind us. And there were a couple of friends of ours from our group that had to go to the East coast for a wedding and came back. And it was just such a challenge for them. They just kept getting snowed out of places and eventually had to leave trail. And, but we were, as we got closer to Oregon, we were dealing with more and more anxiety of this bad weather getting closer to us. And I think I was in tears on my last day, not because it was the last day of the PCT, because I didn't know how I was going to hike 30 miles with frozen feet and like my shoelaces that were icicles and just like any more of this, this stuff. So we ended up in snow too, but it was, I mean, we were able to finish because our snow was in Shasta versus being in Washington. Right. And you guys finished late October. We finished mid-October. Mid-October? <laughs> The 21st? Yeah. Is that correct? I, I thought I was in the teens, but now I don't okay. even remember. You might have, you might have looked into it better. Than <laughs> or more recently than you have? Yeah, yeah. Like, what was the date or approximate time frame when you hit Shasta and then flipped up? Was that in August or? It was the end of August. So, yeah, it was around the 1st of September that we were in Washington. Wow, yeah. It's interesting because I'm, I'm following some people this year who are, who have made it up to Washington. Now they went straight through Mm -hmm. and they've got a lot of fog and overcast and they've even had some hail and that kind of stuff hitting them at this point even already. Huh? Yeah. I'm like, Oh, it's going to be a doozy. (laughs) 
Yeah. And it, you know, once we got, when, when we flipped, there's a whole lot of things going on. It, it got lonely on trail very quickly. The further, mm-hmm. as, once we became southbound, the further south we went, there was a moment in Washington that was really cool where we were intersecting with everybody that we started with who was finishing the trail, who were maybe ahead of us. So it was really cool to see people we hadn't seen in a while. But once we passed that kind of big herd, it got really lonely on trail. The weather got bad pretty quick. We're just kind of piecemealing together Oregon. Um, and at this point, by the time we finished trail, it was me, Charlie, and um, Maisie, or Cosmo and Jedi. So it was the three of us. And we kind of felt like we have to keep going because we're OCD about this. But why are we still out <laughs> here? Like, nobody's out here. And this is awful. And we're not having fun anymore. And you know, it was, it was a battle, but I really did notice that the weather, just the weather affects emotions so much. It, if the sun would come out, it would just, our whole perspective would change. But the, there were so many days towards the end that were just really, really cold, <laughs> really wet and snowy. And, and some, in retrospect, I think were kind of dangerous for us to be out there still. But lo and behold. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys swap out as you were coming southbound and it was starting to get further into fall? Did you guys swap out some of your gear for more wintry or your Sierra group of pack of stuff that was a little warmer? Um, no, I, so my gear has been pretty consistently the same. I've used the same stuff, give or take, like maybe I'll leave a rain jacket at home or my rain pants at home, but I, pretty much have used the same things for all of my hikes from that John Muir trail hike in 2015 until now in all seasons. The only thing I I sent, I brought to the Sierra that I sent back were micro spikes in my ice axe. But I, um, yeah, I, I really, and towards the end of the PCT, I was cold. Let me just say that I, the last day, it was a 30 mile day because we just needed to get out of there and there was fresh snow and no one was making tracks in front of us. And I was hiking with a plastic, like plastic bags over my socks, over my feet, in my shoes, because they were just so cold. That actually worked really well. But, um, (laughs) so if, if I were to do that for a longer period of time, I would have wanted some sort of gear that I don't even have at home because it was Mm. the Sierra, there's snow, but it wasn't cold. It was still the summertime. Yeah, this was, this was, you know, below freezing temperatures and, and certainly below freezing at night, but I have a 20 degree sleeping bag. And so that I really, I really love my sleeping bag and, and my <laughs> jacket <laughs> keeps me warm. And, um, luckily this is towards the end of trail. So Cosmo and I were sharing a two person tent and that extra body heat was real. like at night I was warm. Um, and during the day you're, you're moving. So the things that were cold, like if I could have a better pair of gloves, that might've been nice. But for the most part, I really appreciate having gear that I feel comfortable taking in a lot of different climates. And so you kind of had the all season version of gear and, and made that simpler, so to speak. Yeah. And, but again, if I were, I, I wouldn't want to stay in in below freezing temperatures with my gear for much longer, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be in that period <laughs> for much longer. I was not having a great time. <laughs> that wasn't even type two type fun. Mm, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel like I was pretty grumpy to my hiking partners. <laughs> I've got to assume that the people that you start hiking with at some point, because it feels kind of like everybody ends up kind of hiking with people one way or another, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that you have to, everybody has to be patient with everybody's moods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, you don't have to, like I said, this, that year I knew in the Sierra that group was going to be important. So there was a sense in the Sierra that we all need to stay together. And I think there was a sense towards the end, at the end of trail that we all need to stay together because not anyone, like no one else is out here. So Mm -hmm. we knew, you know, at that point, when we flipped, we were a big group in Shasta and then we all kind of flipped separately because it's very hard to hitch and deal with running a car as a big group. So Charlie and I kind of decided we're going to branch off and tell everybody if we see you up there, awesome, but we're going to keep going at our own pace. So you can kind of branch off on your own, but yeah, once you start to once you kind of attach to people, it, you, it's like a family where you, 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 you know, you, they see your best and worst and they have to accept you either way. At that point, you are literally family and, and they have to love mm-hmm. you regardless. Yeah. I mean, we needed, we were all a little grumpy in our own right. I will say that I probably was more grumpy than Maisie and Charlie towards the end of trail dealing with that weather. But the, I know that I know that they certainly helped carry me through. And I think that for the most part, the benefit of having some people with you is, is just that some person's bad day, hopefully will be someone else's good day. And, and you can lift each other up and that, you know, I, I really, really in retrospect, appreciate everybody that I hiked with because I know there were times, you know, when we all helped each other in one way or another. For you personally, what, what was one of those times that having somebody and, and and actually almost like not, not Charlie per se, but one of the other people in the group that you were like going through the Sierras or whatever that really helped kind of get you through the day and and keep you moving forward. Um, I'm sure there that I have, that I have a lot of examples of this, but the, the first thing that comes to mind for me, when we were in the Sierra, we, there was a, one of our biggest sections, um, I think it was near Mir Pass, we were all very, very hungry. It's just like, we're starting to wonder <laughs> our food, is our food going to be enough? Because we just want to eat everything. The hiker hunger really kicked in strong then. And um, a hiker who had taken some time off came back into the Sierra and she had a great attitude. It's just like a very friendly, charismatic person and said, my bag is way too heavy and I have way too much food. And it's like, threw all this food at us including vegan sausages and she's not even vegetarian <laughs> like <laughs> total trail magic. And she ended up hiking with us. Her name is her trail name is soul shine. And I can remember a couple times walking when I was trying to catch up to our group in the Sierra, trying to get to camp and I would catch up to her. And even if things are going bad, she just always was smiling and had a good attitude. And later in the Sierra, it was me and Charlie, Soulshine, and two other hikers. And no matter what the day was like, if it was really hot, if it was really cold, whatever the case may be, as soon as we got to camp, she, without a doubt, would just say, 
oh my God, I'm so happy to see you both. How was your day? What was the best thing about your hike today? And I just had this, I was able to just bring you back to, yeah, thank you for bringing our mindset back to focusing on what went well today, Soulshine. And she just had this great attitude. And I, I always will remember, and um, I always share the story with other people when, when they talk about the trail and they say, I can never do something like that. I have never backpacked. She shared with me that she had, her first night camping in her life was her first night on the PCT. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah. Yeah. Her, her positive attitude throughout the whole thing was, I, there's several times when I just, it's just nice to be around that energy. Yeah. It sounds like she looked at it as she was able to keep focused on it as an adventure, as opposed to a, a trial or something to get through. Yeah. There was a lightness about her approach. Yeah. What, what is the, the commercial? It's priceless. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying. It's one of the it's one of the credit card commercials that you know they uh, where they have you know you get to use your credit card. In this case, it's you get to use your credit card and and you're able to help somebody do something and that's priceless. And in this case, she was she was priceless. Yeah, and and I don't want to discredit the rest of the members because really everyone in our group was pretty awesome and had their own personal strengths, but that was the soul shine space is the first thing that came to mind. We said, who has helped lift you up in time? Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, it's funny because I think that there's a reason that groups form. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason why certain people end up hiking together. Um, mm-hmm. you know, whether that is like in that case, you know, you guys uh, receive the benefit of, of her je ne sais quoi. Mm-hmm. But but likewise, I I would assume that on the the flip side of that, you know, she also received the benefit of you know whatever je ne sais quoi you brought to the trail. Mm-hmm. And it's nice because on trail the playing ground is even. Everyone's wearing their hiking uniform, and there's really no age gap. There's really no socioeconomic gap, and so mm-hmm. our group is pretty diverse in age, and it's people that you may not hang out with outside of this yeah. experience and, and in normal society where we judge everyone and we kind of group up, whether it's conscious or, or unconscious, you know, it happens. And so on trail, it, it's nice. Cause yeah, you're building this group, but it's all these people that are unique in their own way and that you might not have formed that group outside of any other, you know, outside of that experience. I'm sure that those groups are in your group in particular, you know, had, interesting conversations because you are so diverse in terms of, you know, age and sex and Mm -hmm. whatever other ways that people usually separate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to think of a good juicy story for you, but you know, as, as I'm sure you've heard from other hikers, most conversations are about pooping and, and dirt and food. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah. but there's the, the serious responses yeah it is there you know there's a we had we had folks with all different types of upbringings and um that's certainly very fascinating and, and cool to be around yeah i i can't even imagine because i i mean if you can't tell from this podcast i love hearing people tell their stories i love listening to people's <laughs> stories and the opportunity for people 
to do that, you know, where you're, we're, you're hanging with people for months and months and months on end. Mm-hmm. Sounds amazing. Yeah, it is. we'll have to do a follow up episode where I can tell you how <laughs> hard that is coming back from that, not having there. <laughs> but at the time, yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's like, yeah, you just, I didn't go on a through hike expecting to find community. You know, I went out there thinking this is going to be lonely, but really what was lonely is coming home. I could see that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just such a unique, it's like a camp environment, such a unique closeness. What were you expecting when you went out there? What was your, I guess, your why for being out there? <laughs> That's such a, you laugh. You that's laugh a, huh? it's, such a, it's such a common question, but I I feel like I don't have one of the. Uh, I feel like there's supposed to be a big. Um, I just feel like I'm supposed to have a bigger answer to that than I do. But the the truth is, for me, is I. So I had romanticized through hiking for a, for a while, and I had romanticized. It started with the Appalachian Trail, and then when I moved to the West Coast, it changed to the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, but I'd never grown up backpacking and it was never something that I thought was even in my repertoire. Like it was, just wasn't something that it was something other people did. Like that wasn't a risk I took. I, that wasn't something that I could do. And once I started trail running out here and doing longer distances, it started to become a little bit more attainable. Like, Oh, I can do long distance. I feel a little more comfortable staying outside. I can, you know, navigate in the woods by myself. And so by the time I had actually decided to go on the PCT, I just reached a point in my life where I felt it just, I can do this now. And so I want to do this now. It, it just seems like I can see myself doing this. It makes sense to me. It no longer sounds crazy. I can, I can understand why people do it and I can understand how it works and I feel ready. So it really had, had been some, a seed that was planted, I think for years and years and years, but it, my only expectation, I didn't have a big expectation or want a big epiphany. It was more just the moment when I realized this is something I can do for whatever reason, I felt like now I have to do it. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. I hope that made sense. Yeah, no, it, it makes, it makes total sense. It, it's, it's funny that you say that because that's sort of where I am sitting right now. Like I don't have this big, because you're right. The, I think the common question is, well, why did you do it? What put mm-hmm. you out on that trail? Mm-hmm. And so many people have such great grand answers about, you know, working through this or working through trauma or trying to find their place in the world or, or whatever it is, um, which are amazing. And I, and I know that the trail is, is wonderful for giving people space to do that sort of thing. I just don't necessarily have that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And you know, everyone has their own reasons. And I, I, it's not that none of that stuff might not, it's not that that stuff won't come up necessarily, but I also mm-hmm. was very aware that I didn't want the, I didn't see, I don't think it's, it's always a good idea to put a big expectation on something like that. I mean, for me, it really was as simple. The decision to go out there was as simple as, Oh, I, I think I can do this now. So I'm going to do it there's a lot more depth that came with that, but it's interesting because when you're out there, you think you might have all this time to read all these books and, and, you know, (laughs) 
contemplate all this stuff, but you really are present in what you're doing, especially 2017 in the Sierra. like, I was really, when I say we're present in what we're doing, a lot of the challenges in the Sierra, like you're not thinking about any, you're not thinking about your past. You're not ruminating about anything. You really are just, how am I going to go over this mountain pass right now, solving this problem right here in this moment with this breath. And so it, I think it is easy to end the trail and, and say, oh crap, I didn't figure out the rest of my life. What was I supposed to do? Because you're during that time, one of your three, you are engaged in that. And so, yeah, I don't know. For me, it was, it was, it was a pretty um, powerful moment of actually for once just being present in my life for better or worse. Were you able to pull that into your life off the trail? That's still the practice. <laughs> <laughs> I know that it feels good when I'm focused on one thing at a time, like hiking. I know it feels good when my phone is off, when I'm not distracted, when I'm having a conversation with someone and I'm not looking at a text or receiving a phone call and they're not, you know, like I know from hiking that all of that makes me a healthier, happier, less anxious person, but that's not the social norm, especially in a city like Los Angeles. So I still have not mastered having the confidence to be that person here and not get sucked into the matrix. Yeah. Interesting. So I'm aware that that's the, you know, that there's, Somehow I got to figure that out. I have a feeling a lot of us have to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're all going to become robots. I know. Well, it's funny, <laughs> like you saying all of that, you know, and, and not doing this and, you know, staying present and being focused on one thing. Like, as you were literally saying that, I was thinking back to my day to day and I was like, I don't think I focused on one thing at a time the entire day. Um, and I felt oh, yeah. completely frazzled and frantic and, and whatever all day. Yeah. It's, it's so easy to get sucked into it. And society doesn't, we haven't really created healthy norms for technology use. So it's, what's difficult yeah. is I think a lot of people stress about missing out on a text or feeling like I need to respond to someone right away are feelings that are valid because people do get upset about that because we haven't established good norms about these things. I mean, this stuff has happened so fast. Even when I was just a kid, I remember we had a, answering machine at home and when you're out playing with your friends if someone calls they leave a message on the answering machine and you get you don't even know about it until you get home but now people send you a message and you're expected to reply you know as soon as you can and so it's kind of on us to to stand up and say I'm I'm going to change my habit and I'm going to I'm going to let everybody know that you can't expect me to respond right away because if I don't respond, I'm, you know, we just have to be confident in our choices to not look, but I think it's difficult because we do get rid it is easy to get ridiculed for that. Depending on what your work is or how your friends are, or, you know, what people are used to from you. Oh, totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. And I also think that the, you know, the beeping, ringing, vibrating, whatever phone also acts a little bit like a slot machine. Oh, it drives me nuts. <laughs> I keep my phone on silent and I don't have notifications. That doesn't mean I don't obsessively search through all my things, but I don't know how people, the, the dinging that goes off throughout the day, no matter where I am, just, it's like we're Pavlov's dog with a bell. It just drives me nuts. 
Yeah. It, it's an interesting, it's an interesting conundrum we find ourselves in. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. Cause I, you know, I also teach yoga and I work as a counselor for kids. And so it's like, what can I do to help? <laughs> They're totally sucked in. I mean, I'm at an elementary school. They've already got cell phones. I don't think cell phones existed in an elementary school. I know. I certainly <laughs> didn't when I was in elementary school. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I remember my first computer really to work on was a God oh. love it. Commodore 64. Way, way, way back in the day. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. Things are changing very fast. Yeah. Very fast. And, and to, to switch, uh, to switch trails on you for a second or quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is your trail name? Oh, my trail name is Larry. And? Um, so that, so my, my name is Lonnie and it's spelled L-A-N-I and it has happened, it happened again this summer. It has happened a couple times now where in a town, when I place an order for food or beverage and tell them my name, for some reason it has happened a couple times that instead of Lonnie, it comes back to me as Larry and they call my drink or food. They say, I have such and such for Larry. And the first time that happened, the person that I was with just thought it was hilarious and said, that's perfect because it's like your drunk trucker name. And when you hike, you're disgusting and you burp and you fart and you're gross and you're definitely a Larry. And that's what I'm going to call you from now on. So it <laughs> never left me. And so um, that's, that's my childhood story. That is awesome. I hope, I hope none of my students will ever listen to this. <laughs> I love that Larry is the drunk trucker. <laughs> I know. It's only embarrassing when I'm on trail and I actually meet another Larry, like a legit Larry, and then I hope that they're not offended. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my trail name story. That is pretty awesome. And and you've basically kept the same name every for every trail since since then? So to be honest, I've in I've at times really thought that I should get a new trail name but it has become it my friends have have adopted it to such a degree that i think <laughs> in my in my everyday life i'm called larry far more than i'm called lonnie so i don't think i can change it at all because it's just even with my trail running friends here now that's just kind of who i speak <laughs> so so uh, Do you find yourself like when you, when you switch, when you make that switch from Lonnie to Larry, Mm -hmm. is there actually a mental switch that happens as well? You know what I'm saying? Well, it's interesting because as I said, I I feel like in my, in my normal social life, I'm called Larry more often than I'm called Lonnie anyway. So it's almost like my two worlds are, I, I kind of identify as my trail name being who I am here anyway, because when I'm not at work, I'm usually in running shorts and out on a trail anyway. So I feel very attached. I don't feel very attached to my dirtbag life. So it's it's either I'm Larry or I'm Miss Lonnie at work. <laughs> so those are very different. Those are very different. Yeah. 
Although my students are also used to finding me in my office with my shoes off or sitting on the floor or just being weird. So I think they're, they're okay. And you're now with elementary students. And so they probably dig that. Oh yeah. They don't even notice high school, you know, they, they're, they'll, they'll ask more questions at elementary. Yeah. It's, it's, I can blend in a little better. (laughs) Yeah. What, what were you using for, a tent and a sleeping bag and things like that when you were out there? I have a Nemo Hornet Elite as my tent and I love it. It has side doors, which I thought was really, really wonderful. And it's less than two pounds. And my sleeping bag is Western Mountaineering. So it's a, it's a sleeping bag, not a quilt. And it's a 20 degree. And I also love that <laughs> very much. But I continue to use a NeoAir, even though Somehow it gets a puncture in it so easily every time, but it's also just so comfortable. I can't switch. <laughs> so you've never, you never tried or, or wanted to switch out to one of the other Sea to Summit or Big Agnes or any of those other? No. And Cosmo has switched to just the Thermarest, you know, the easy one that you just throw out, the thin, the thin one. Like the egg crate? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it, it, I'm envious of how easy it is. I always uh, get a little lightheaded after I've blown up my Neoware, but it (laughs) it does not seem superior to comfort. Only if you sleep on your back, I think. Uh, I'm a side sleeper, and so I can see that hurting my hips. Yeah, that's that's exactly where I kind of go with it. But my sleeping bag, I'm sure you've gotten, everyone has their own opinion about all of their gear and everyone's very attached to their gear and that's fine. I was very worried about being cold at night and my sleeping bag is just amazing. And I don't, I've never tried a quilt and I know that that seems to be all the rage these days. Um, I don't want to not quilt, but I will say that my sleeping bag was one of the more expensive. I never thought I would spend that much money on a piece of gear, but throughout the years, it has been so worth it. And a lot of the brands that I found through backpacking companies, especially Western Mountaineering and 100% Patagonia, um, they're so good with customer service. I've had the sleeping bag now since 2015, and I've sent them to fix some stuff or, you know, add more down to it. And they're just, so great it's definitely worth the money they they actually know what customer service is oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's a it's a treat and the 20 degree was was warm enough for you on this when you went through the sierras oh yeah the sierra again was not that very cold in the summer but even in towards the end of trail in october when it was getting you know below freezing at night, I was warm. I'll say the Western Mountaineering, I know, I think their their rating system is, it's a, if it's a 20-degree bag, that means that you'll be comfortable up to 20 degrees, but it'll still um, protect you if it's even colder than that. So a lot of other bag companies, I think maybe they'll protect you up to whatever degree they say, but you're not necessarily comfortable. So it's good to do the research to figure out what the rating really means. And so I've been, I've been comfortable in my bag and in all sorts of weather. No. And that's, and that's a huge one for me personally, because I know I end up 
sleeping cold. Ah, uh, yeah. I would recommend a sleeping bag. Yeah, that's versus, that's kind of where I'm quote. where I'm leaning. Yeah. But, you know, I find in talking with, you know, different women, I find a lot of women also have that issue. They're just, they sleep colder. Interesting. I, at many times, I guess it also probably depends on, on where, um, where someone is in their cycle, but there are a lot of times where I used to, I used to think that I slept cold. And then as I've gotten older, I'm like a furnace at night. (laughs) I've become... I've become like a furnace at night, which at times is really nice. And um, other times my sleeping bag can actually be a little too warm. But yeah, that if, if you're worried, about, if you if you feel like you sleep cold, then I would I would definitely make sure that whatever you get, the degree is rated based on comfort. Right. And not keep you alive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I didn't realize that that there was in, until you just literally said it, but that there was a difference in how the the companies were rating their their sleeping bags. So thank you. Yeah, no, you're welcome. I don't think I realized that until after I got my sleeping bag too, and just heard other people talk about talk about theirs. So I, yeah, I don't know, but I, I think that's a legit question that you can even ask a company how how it's rated. Like, what is this supposed to mean in the real world type of thing? Yeah, like when it says 20 degrees, does that mean I'll be comfortable at 20 degrees or does that mean I'll be alive at 20 degrees? (laughs) (laughs) Those are two very different things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm not trying to suffer too much here. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But your sleeping pad also makes a difference, you know. Mm -hmm. Having a Neoware versus the egg crate gives you a little more distance from the ground so it certainly adds more warmth right but i'm not i'd have to look but i don't know if the neo air is an all-weather type of thing or if it because i know that there are there are pads that are all weather that actually have a little bit of an insulation layer built into them i think this one does i don't know if it's all weather but i think it does have a pretty good insulation system built in at least yeah Okay. And then Thermarest makes so many different ones. And even within NeoWare, there's, you know, the X-Lite, the, I think they just came out with another super light one. They have a women's specific one that I think has a warmer rating on it as well. Yeah. Did you bring a pillow? I did. <laughs> I did. What was your pillow? <laughs> um, I think it's Sea to Summit. Okay. That, that's, that, that was definitely a luxury item that I, that I am um, proud of. It was very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> what other kind of luxury item did you did you bring with you? Mm, good question. Um, hmm, these days, I have a um, little Bluetooth speaker, which only during a- appropriate times because I want to make, especially since it's being aired, I want to make sure that it's clear that I don't think it's it's a good, I don't think it's good when people are playing music loudly in nature, especially when other people can hear it. But having a little speaker at times when Cosmo and I are alone, even now when we're on runs or a little walk, being able to listen to a podcast together is really nice. So I would say that that's a luxury item that I sometimes will bring. I haven't used it as much lately. Definitely my pillow. Um, I'm trying to think. 
Those are probably the main ones. Sometimes I'll bring a book, and I would say that that's a luxury item because it's pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to like a Kindle on your phone or something. Yeah, or as opposed to being honest with myself, am I really going to read? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just cut out some crossword puzzles and bring those, and those are nice. Interesting. Yeah, I could I could see that. Like you can then you can parse them up, kind of over the trail. Yeah, and you can involve other people with them. You can just shout out questions at camp. <laughs> and see who's mm-hmm. got certain knowledge bases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when you brought books with you, did you find yourself actually reading them, or did they just kind of sit in your pack? And I have only started to bring books and, and be okay with that extra weight. On the PCT, I didn't, I don't think I brought any, but... Charlie did, and he would definitely read them. He's way better at that than me. So what would you do with your evenings generally? Like you get to camp and you make food and then... It's pretty exhausting in and of itself. So by the time we get to camp, we we hike until about 7.30 or so. And then by the time we get to camp, set everything up, make food, it's pretty late. I would also at night really try to at least make bullet point notes of what happened during the day so that I could write a blog post and I, I knew that if I didn't make notes then I would it would just I'm already behind and that would make it worse so I tried to get in the habit of journaling at night and yeah I mean by, by the time you're done with all of your chores it tends to be pretty late but I will admit that I also down, downloaded Netflix movies <laughs> And TV shows. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I'm having and hearing more people doing that. Yeah, you know, especially when I when I backpacked alone before the PCT and and now since then, just having that as an option helps. I know, and if there's ever a time where I just kind of feel lonely, if I'm for some reason camped where nobody else is, or went on a hike where nobody else is, it's it's kind of comforting. But I will say that when things got really cold and tough in the last part of the trail, the um, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was really helpful. Her optimism optimism was really, was really necessary at that time. (laughs) That's interesting that she was sort of like a part of your trail family at that point. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, fun. You know, jokes aside, it, it was nice to have that kind of like something light at the end of the day. Like some of those days just felt so heavy, especially if there are a lot of challenges. It's just nice to have something light and then fall asleep. Right. And so you're you're falling asleep with that on your mind versus the heaviness or the or the difficulty of the day. Yeah, or like the water crossing we have to get up at four in the morning to do, or yeah, just something a little lighter. How often did you have to do you like a night hike because you guys were in the desert and trying to avoid the heat or get up really early in the morning in order to hit the, the passes or, you know, get across streams early, that kind of stuff? We were not good at that, <laughs> period. We uh, tried to night hike once in the desert. I think we made it to like 11 p.m. and Charlie and I collapsed in a dirt road and had no water and said, we can't, we're tired. And so that didn't work. And there was the, there was a serious time in the Sierra where it was a group of, it started as a group of four of us. That's actually where we met 
three people that ended up being part of our bigger group in the Sierra, but it was, we had reached a water crossing right after the suspension bridge. And that was one of the deadly water crossings. And we reached it in the afternoon. There was already people there that had tried to cross and one person got over and slipped in that process. And he said, don't, don't do this at night. And so all of us decided to get up at four in the morning and cross it together. And that was probably one of the most terrifying mornings, but that, that was one time that I know we for sure did the responsible thing and cross, you know, as early as we could and really were mindful about that. As far as the passes went, even this summer, we, we were, we were probably on the top of the or Forrester at like 1 p.m. noon. <laughs> yeah, we didn't we didn't get up. Uh, before. I, I have a hard time getting up before the sun hits my tent. <laughs> so as it got closer into fall, it must have been very difficult. Oh, I never wanted to leave my sleeping bag once it got cold. It was it was they had to I had to, I had to be it was quite an effort getting out in the morning those mornings it was very very difficult in fact there's if you were if you looked through my blog um I so before I get into PCT I had a habit or I had a tradition of running my age on my birthday running whatever my age is in miles or more mm-hmm. so I knew I was going to have a birthday in the PCT and I was planning on making that a big day and when it was my birthday, we were in, I think, Oregon, maybe, maybe just maybe Southern Washington. And it was raining and it was snowing and it was cold and it was miserable. And I didn't, I woke up not motivated for it, but we had just come out of Trout Lake and I got these balloons, like we got these balloons. And so I blew one up and put it on my bag and we didn't do, we didn't end up doing my age and miles that day because it was just a depressing day. And Charlie pointed out after the fact, he's like, your birthday was so depressing. There's just photos of you walking around with a blue balloon like Eeyore. Just <laughs> <laughs> the woods, just put your head down in a blue. And then I looked into photos, which you can see in my blog. I'm like, that does look really sad. <laughs> the fact that it's a blue balloon mm-hmm. was really pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> what was your toughest time on trail? The tough times on trail, it's hard to answer because they were so different. You know, when it was closer to the desert, I, w- I, I know that the desert, that was extremely tough. But as it got towards the end of trail, you know, and probably now because the end of trail is what I remember the most just that that bitter cold and that loneliness that combination of it being really cold and challenging but not having a whole lot of people around i think that experience was 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 pretty tough because there's an energy in the in the beginnings you know so the challenges in the desert and the challenges in the sierra there's still an energy of hikers around you right and you're sort of feeding off of each other's energy yeah and then towards the end you're kind of like why am i still out here at least for or us, the flip side of that is how can I still be out here? Yeah. And, it, you know, just to backtrack, part of that feeling comes from the fact that we ended not at the terminus. It was an anticlimactic ending. So there wouldn't mm-hmm. be people there. We were late in the season and we had just, you know, we had just finished Oregon and it was, it was hiking a few, you know, hiking for a day or two. And then 
pitching out and trying to figure out where we could get on trail that wasn't closed next. And so it was kind of like just emotionally very challenging to grapple with what we were doing while we were still attaching. Right. How much of the trail did you guys have to bump around because of closures? Um, I think we, we estimated that we ended up hiking about 2,400 miles. So we have like 200 to make up that were closed. Do you have plans to do that or, or you got what you needed out of that hike and, and I would like to do the whole thing again, (laughs) but when that's going to happen, I don't know, but I, yeah, I, I'd like to do the whole thing again. Would you do it northbound again or would you do it south? I'd be open to doing it south. um, But I think my first choice would be north. I really, one of the great things that I, that happened for, at least for me on the trail that surprised me is that I really, one of my, like my fondest memories and some of my favorite parts ended up being the, the beginning of trail, like the first 500 miles of trail. And that's, also very close to where I live and yeah I don't know there's something about the energy in the beginning in Southern California that that's what I would I mean that that would be my reason for wanting to go northbound but I'm sure that's changing as the trail gets busier and busier and busier but it was really cool to come home it was really cold in October in Shasta but as soon as I got closer to Los Angeles it was back to being warm again and we um, we were kind of spacey when we got done with the PCT, as as everybody kind of is. It's like shell shock coming back from that. And so Charlie came back with me, and we drove, I think, right away out to Mount San Jacinto and just spent the night out there and saw some south <laughs> just saw some southbounders. But it was just so nice to be back in a part of the trail where we could cowboy camp. And I and I think that made me think it would be nice if you go southbound. One of the benefits is that your end of trail is, is really, I would imagine is really pleasant coming through Southern California. Yeah. It's a nice way to spend the fall. Mm-hmm. How much cowboy camping did you guys do or did you do? Um, I don't know exactly. We did, we did a decent amount. I, I, um, I refuse to do it when the mosquitoes are out. So we certainly didn't cowboy camp every night and there are a lot of nights especially in the beginning of trail where I would set up my tent. This is even before Charlie and I would share a tent and I would just communicate with my group through my tent because I didn't want to deal with the mosquitoes. And they would still cowboy camp with the mosquitoes? Um, some would, some wouldn't. Okay. This is going to be a really naive question, but how would that work without getting eaten alive? I don't know. I don't know. And you know, there's all those (laughs) I feel like there's also some people that just don't get bothered by them. I looked like this summer was worse for mosquitoes for me than in 2017. But this whole summer, my legs looked like I had chicken pox. It was awful. Ah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But, but most times when I've been in the Sierra, it's really not bad. This was, this, this year was bad. But in general, it's usually not that bad. So don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Ignorance is and it was and there's there's very specific spots. Like once we got closer to Mammoth, it was just that area was awful. But 
yeah, it's, 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 it's certainly not as buggy as, as I think the East coast would be. Mm-hmm. Right. No. And, and you don't have the same humidity and all of that other good, good fun stuff. Exactly. But yeah, I, I have zero tolerance for the mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, what what did you do for the mosquitoes while you were hiking? Like, did you take bug spray with you or? There were, again, there were only a few stretches where they were really bad. And I had a bug net. If they were really, really awful, I would put my rain pants on just to kind of try to protect my legs. And I didn't start with bug spray, because, you know, Every, I feel like I, a lot of people start off not wanting to put chemicals and DEET on them, but as soon as the mosquitoes get really, really bad, I would pick some up in hiker boxes. And if it, if it, yeah, if it was really bad, I would put DEET on, but I didn't even feel like that did. Covering up with my rain pants and um, a bug net was pretty helpful. Did you hike with long sleeves or not? Um, mine were, you could fold them up. And they could be long. Okay. Yeah. So you could get that protection both from bugs and from sun and, and that yes, kind of yes, it does. But I hiked in shorts most of the time. Right. As most people seem to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a button up, you know, long sleeve adjustable shirt. Yeah. I am proud to say that is the one thing I've purchased so far. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I'm ready. I'm ready to get out there. Good. You're going to get out there. Now I saw on your, on your blog and stuff, you were having issues with your hand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no one, <laughs> no one knows what that was either. <laughs> but had, I got, I got those weird blisters. Yeah. It was the craziest thing. There's these giant blisters on a couple of my fingers and it was near Ashland, Oregon. And at first it felt like, um, a bug bite. My hiking, Maisie thought that it was frostbite because it was so cold then. And no one knew what it was. And so by the time we got to Ashland, I went to the emergency room again. I say again, because earlier in trail, I went for my stomach thing. And the first person I saw didn't know what it was, but I don't even remember what she was guessing was the issue was. Maybe she was guessing that it was frostbite. And she was about to give me a shot of a blood thinner She's like, all right, well, I'm going to give you a shot of a blood center into your stomach and you're not going to be able to hike again. And I was like, wait a second, can you tell Charlie to come in here? Because I don't feel right to me. And so he came in and then another doctor came in. They're like, we're not going to give you a shot in your stomach. I don't think it's frostbite. I don't know what it, basically they didn't know what it was. And I had to come back the next day. And when I came back, the doctor said, I I don't even remember exactly what his whole speech was, but essentially he didn't really know exactly what it was and that I should go see my regular doctor when I get home and that I shouldn't hike anymore. And we're two weeks from finishing this thing. Like we're two weeks from Shaft getting back to Shaft at this point. And so the doctor walked out and a nurse stayed in. And once the doctor left, he said, don't listen to him. You should finish your hike. You'll be fine. He was like, you'll get home and you have to wait. You'll have to wait two weeks to get an appointment with your doctor anyway. Who cares? Right. <laughs> and I said, what? Okay. Yeah. So, I, and then eventually the blisters popped. And I, when I came home, I asked my regular doctor and she's like, I don't know. Every medical ailment I had, when I tried to explain it, they're like, what are you, 
your stomach hurt sometimes, but not all the time. You had a weird, you had a blister that's gone now. What do you want? I, we don't know what that is. Like a weird. You're not saying anything that makes sense. So no one knew. Yeah. So, and they just, they, they ended up popping at some point and they never, they didn't come back and you didn't have any Mm-mm. more issues. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, I, I have had blisters on my hands before. This wasn't that, but I have had blisters on my hands before in the Sierra from the sun. And I've recently purchased sun gloves and I would recommend that because I've put, I put sunblock on my hands and face and body all the time anyway. But I know that that in particular has happened at high elevations for me, but these blisters were so bizarre and in, in like weird spots that didn't make sense. But it's not like it would have been from your hiking poles or something like that. Exactly. I was looking for any logical reason for there to be friction or something, and it just didn't mm-hmm. make sense. You're a medical miracle. Or <laughs> an anomaly. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> On your blog, you were mentioning a couple of recommendations for planning, and you were talking about uh, like Half Mile and Craig's PCT Planner. Mm-hmm. and post holer are those the things mm-hmm. that you were using yeah have you been on any of those sites i have not so half mile half mile you is another app that's not as um detailed as gut hooks but it's very it's free and it very simply will tell you mileage and and water waypoints and where you are on trail so i had half mile before I had gut hooks, but I also relied on half mile. They put out whole big, they update their information every year to let you know who's still accepting resupply packages and what resupply looks like in every town and information about it. So I used their information for that. Um, and really appreciated that post holder is a good site. Those, the other two that I put have tools to help you, plan if that's helpful for you and um i think it's post holer had the information about snowpack in the sierra oh okay perfect Mm -hmm. um what were you using for a backpack so i had a 40 liter um the brand is called boreas and i really love it and i still i have a couple i have two of the same one and i i still use them however the company um when I started the PCT hike, they had a contest where you could write an essay and be, um, tell them an adventure that you're going on and they'll choose someone to sponsor and, you know, send you a backpack for free. So I did that for the PCT and they sent me a backpack. And by the time my PCT journey ended, the company's disappeared and I don't know what happened. Okay. But it seems like they're gone. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I, you have a, a museum piece now. I have a museum piece now, <laughs> but I really, it's a bummer. Cause I, I really, I would, I would try to sell it because it was very affordable and it's been very sustainable and it's, it's not as light as all of this ultra light ones, but it's pretty light. You know, I, I would say that all of my gear in general is I'm not, I'm not a total minimal. I'm not, you know, like super ultra light, but I like to be somewhere in the middle. I want to be, you know, 40 liters still pretty small, but mm-hmm. I still have luxury items. Yeah. Did you go stoveless or, or with stove? Um, I went with stove. Lately, I've been experimenting 
with stoveless, just seeing what things taste good, cold soaked or heated up on a campfire, you know, figuring out what the right balance is. But I really like heating up. I really like having warm food. Yeah, it sounds good. Mm -hmm. Just even the sound of warm food. The words warm food sound good. Yeah, it it was a nice, um, it was nice at the end of the day. What was what was your favorite trail magic that you guys got? I mean, all trail magic is really fantastic, but hmm, there was somebody set up. I think his name is Jeremy. There was somebody set up in Washington near um, the Cascades National Park, and we were having we were just feeling really good that day and we hadn't had trail magic in a really long time. And he, and we were doing big miles that day and we popped out to a road and there was this van and this person there setting up with trail magic and he had lounge chairs for us to sit in a paper bag with snacks to eat while we wait for him to make us sandwiches and a cooler of, <laughs> of beverages. And I thought this is so cool. <laughs> But there were also, I, it's so hard to pick because there are also times like when the fires happened and um, the trail was started to close at different sections and started to close spontaneously and everyone was scrambling to plan. Um, there were trail angels that popped up out of nowhere, people that had never even heard of the PCT until recently that were opening up their homes for hikers, helping us figure out logistics of getting from one spot to the next which was, you know, maybe a hundred miles of trail were closed. So it's hard for me to pick one because I feel like anyone that comes out and provides support to strangers is pretty awesome. It's it's pretty incredible how people come together to help. Yeah. Which is not something yeah. that happens so much in the in the real world. No, and that you know, it just adds to that community aspect of the whole mm-hmm. experience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. What was your most difficult day, moment, time on trail? I feel like I've shared <laughs> pretty most much of them? all of them with you. Yeah, it's hard again, it's hard to pick one, but there there was certainly there's gonna be a time in that desert section and and in that last chunk of, you know, the last week or two of trail just getting through those horrible conditions i would say no i know i I mean i can guess that when you're talking about the last couple of weeks of of trail like the the incentive to just get it done is that it will be done Mm -hmm. but when you're at the beginning of it all and i don't think i asked you this when you were Mm -hmm. talking about it before like what kept you on on mission, so to speak, what kept you moving forward um, when you were having so many issues? Well, once I started to have issues like in the desert, that's what you mean, right? Once things started to feel not great. I, I don't know if I was searching for any, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a question similar to the, why'd you go on trail for me? Because I feel like there just wasn't, I think what made it hard is that I knew I wasn't going to stop. 
And so I had to keep doing it, feeling this way. And what was hard is I I didn't want to be feeling this way, but the thought of quitting was never like I carved out this time. Someone was at my apartment. Everything's like, I'm not stopping. That was never a thought. So I think just, and that's kind of a mentality that maybe I've carried with me from long distance trail running. Cause when you're in an ultra race, the hard part is that, you know, you just need to get to that finish line and those, <laughs> you know, sometimes the last 10 miles or whatever, just very painful and you just need to get there. Um, I think that was a similar mentality of just what if the rest of this trail, I remember thinking like, what if the rest of the trail is difficult like this, but I never thought, what if I have to quit? Or, or you never thought if the, if the rest of the trail is difficult like this, then I don't want to do it. Right. It was just kind of, what if I have to keep going feeling like this? And, and what did you come to? Then I have to keep going feeling like this. (laughs) 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 I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure also in retrospect, it's different than in the, in the moment. I think I'm just so focused on how, what is going on and how do I feel better and, and trusting that I will feel better at some point. Cause it, again, it was, what was annoying is that it wasn't, if you have a fever, at least like, you know, here's this thing I'm going to get through in a few days or a week or whatever and move on. It wasn't like I was throwing up or any big symptoms and it wasn't predictable. It's just, I would get really paralyzing stomach pains randomly throughout the day and just, I'm sure it had a combination. It was a combination of dehydration and over, you know, it's obvious when you're doing that extreme of a thing that stuff will happen. But yeah, I think it was frustrating that I didn't know what to do to, to make myself feel better. Right. Some people would say, take salt tabs. And they would say like, you're dehydrated, take Gatorade. And then I look at Gatorade and like, this is just high fructose corn syrup. How is this going to help? That was weird. But yeah, I just, I tried all the things and I didn't know what, what's, you know, it's nice when you have a diagnosis. What's good about that is that you can take the steps and feel like you're doing the right thing to get better. I didn't know what to do to get better. You just had to keep moving forward and, and assume slash hope that at some point, particularly once you got out of the desert, it would get better. Yeah. Yeah. And then the battle was building that muscle strength back. Did you ever gain the weight back? Yeah, when I came home. <laughs> well, when you came home, certainly. But on the trail, you basically went the rest of the trail. I think Lake Isabella, I was probably the smallest that I've been in a while, at least the weakest that I've been. Um, the Sierra was a good time to slowly build muscle back. And, you know, in the desert, you can, at least even before it got really hot, we were able to to just, it's much more cardio. Whereas once it gets more technical, I felt like our days we were doing less miles and, and different variety. Like I remember in the Sierra, my arms started to get sore because I knew that I was holding onto my hiking poles for dear life on some of the passes as though they were like <laughs> balancing. And so that activated arm muscles in my arms that I hadn't used in a while. So I think that helped slowly build some of that muscle back. I was definitely still small when I finished trail, but I probably gained some of that muscle somewhere in the Sierra, but I I was underweight when I ended. Mm -hmm. But it didn't affect you as badly as it had in in the desert. 
No. No, I didn't feel as bad as I did in the desert. And I was eating the at that point. You. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just in a heat wave. Just It's not good to go through the Mojave in a heat wave. Generally not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not recommended. No, 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 no. What was your What was your best time or memory of the trail or being on the trail? I don't know if I can choose just one. That's a tough question to answer. I mean, I remember for the first, until I got to Tehachapi, you know, the first month of trail, just kind of feeling very lucky and overjoyed really every every day. And that, yeah, I mean, I would say that most of the trail, despite, I know we focused a lot on what was challenging about it, but I would say most of the trail was, I, I was very aware of, first of all, that it's such a privileged experience to be out there. And I was just, yeah, if there wasn't a major, aside from the days that we've already talked about, those major challenges, <laughs> I would say every day was, I think I have a post that says best day ever again. Like I just kept feeling like it's such a, I don't know. You'll see when you get out there. It's just every day is good when, when you're not being rained and snowed upon. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And even I would I would think that even when you are being rained and snowed upon, you know, you're still doing something that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and even then, although I was pretty uncomfortable during some of those times, I, I recognize I'm it's easier for me to talk about it from the comfort of my home now, but even <laughs> then it's still such a unique experience these days to have your stress be about one thing. It's still like your life is so focused on one thing, which is not what happens outside of trail life anymore. And so there's something nice about every, every joy, every challenge, every part of this journey. You're just so present in that one singular experience. It's, it's an amazing, it's amazing place to visit, meaning so many people don't know what that even feels like. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to, I can't wait for you to get your permit. (laughs) (laughs) You better be on your computer the day it opens. I've heard. (laughs) It's, it's crazy that first day. Yeah. It's, 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 that's something that, is new and and I think keeps changing, but, but you better set your calendar alarm, whatever you need to do. I actually already have. And now that you said this again, I'm going to like recheck it and actually like put reminders a couple days ahead of time to remind myself to remind myself. Good. How exciting. Do we all get to interview you when you come back? If you want to. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it would be interesting to have, I was actually talking to a friend and, and she was saying, you know, what would be interesting right now is to have a, to do a pod, a podcast episode where, where I am you essentially, um, mm-hmm. you know, and she's asking the questions of like, like, what's my perspective from that point or at that point versus mm-hmm. like you said, coming back and what's your perspective at that time? Yeah, I think that would be awesome. And how, how much has changed and how little has changed potentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. But with your podcast, you're already building such a big trail family. Look at you. 
I know <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of crazy, but it's pretty damn awesome, actually. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, and there and and it's so interesting because they are like I've talked to people obviously across the states now and in Canada and Australia and the UK and it's it's a pretty amazing how these little tr- these little trails in the United States are so global. Mhm. Yeah, this year when when we were out there, I did there there were a lot of a lot of people from all over on trail. I met a lot of people from France, there were a lot of people from Israel. It's it yeah, it is becoming pretty well known outside of America. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It makes it does make me wonder though like what they're going to need to do in order to make it sustainable when you have that many people starting to get on the trail. I know. I think that's that's a huge concern right now across the board because it is getting pretty crowded. I think, I think the jump of popularity in the PCT just went up, you know, very quickly after 2014. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And had probably quite a bit to do with the movie. So. Yeah, I think that was after the movie came out. Is there anything you think that we should talk about or, or that needs to be said that hasn't been said yet? <laughs> um, maybe not in this. I mean, I feel like there's always, we could probably talk forever about the trail, but I think we've covered quite a bit of ground. Yeah, we should have a follow-up. We should, we should have a follow-up some other time. We can talk about what it's like coming home. But I feel like now we've, We've got enough. I think that was a yeah. <laughs> quite quite a quite a big chunk. <laughs> yes. Digest this piece first. Yeah. Hopefully that help hopefully, especially in our earlier part of the conversation, that helps you kind of feel less alone in your journey to get to the trail. Yeah. That that is that is most definitely a thing right now, actually. Yeah. Well feel free to reach out with any questions. Believe me, I will. (laughs) As I start actually, um, actually, as I said right now, I've bought a long sleeve shirt and (laughs) I'm excited about that. I'm really excited. And I've chosen a date. (laughs) What date? Basically, I'm looking at early April. So probably around uh, the 5th through the 10th, depending upon what I can get within the permit system. Cool. Well, I'm very excited to hear about your journey. And as you add more pieces of gear to your pile. I, I'm excited to hear about that as well. It'll be really <laughs> interesting to see, to see what gets chosen. Very cool. Um, I'll circle back with you one more, for one more thing and then kind of, kind of close it up. And, and the one more thing is what would be your biggest piece of advice? I know we've, we've talked about so much, you know, in mm-hmm. the last, couple hours but but what would be your kind of biggest overall piece of advice in general for you or, or just either or what, what what do you feel like i i need to hear there is not a problem that will come up on trail that you won't be able to figure out on trail even if you were to leave today so don't overanalyze it too much you're gonna go and you're gonna do it 
you just have to also trust yourself that you're going to plan as much as you can and you're going to do as much as you can in advance. But if it doesn't look perfectly, that's okay because you can start trail and you can figure it out and you're going to be fine and you're not going to be alone. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. But I think it's, it, it, I certainly felt like I need to have every single thing perfectly handled in this you know, type A way before I step out of my door. And the truth is like the house isn't going to burn down. Your life isn't over. And if your shirt ends up being uncomfortable, you can get a different shirt. You're, you're going to be in and out of town. You're capable of handling whatever comes your way. And I think that is so empowering once you realize, Oh, hiking isn't as scary as I've made it out to be in my head. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm smart enough to handle this. And you know enough and you can learn. Yeah. What you don't know, you'll learn. Which is honestly pretty amazing. Yeah. Because so often I think we get, I know I get caught up in the, um, I'm not going to do something until I'm so good at it. Like Mm -hmm. until I've mastered it, until I've learned as much as I possibly can about it. Um, Yeah. Or I know everything that I need to know about it. You know, I used to yeah. think that there's all this, all this knowledge that you need before you can even go on one overnight trip. Cause I just never grew up knowing how to go backpacking, but it, it really is empowering to, to start to trust. Okay. I, there's a balance between, you're not going to be naive. You're going to do some research, but also you're an adult who can solve problems and who can communicate with people and who can be resourceful and, it's okay to learn some of this as you go along. And that once, once you kind of take a deep breath into that, I think it, it, it becomes much more attainable, much easier. But that would be my advice is start telling people that you're doing it, put a date in your calendar like you already have. And, and just trust that there will be challenges along the way and challenges that are going to come up to get you to the start, but you're going to, you're doing it. You're going to overcome them. And, that, and that's okay. So that, I think that mindset helps you flow through them a little bit better than letting those challenges kind of be a barrier. You are absolutely correct. You, <laughs> you keep making the, you keep making the steady choices. Yeah. You just keep, you just keep working. You just keep on keeping on. <laughs> but I say, I say that knowing that it. it was, it was probably one of my more stressful times before trail. So I recognize that. Yeah, you you might need to hear that over and over and over and over and over again, but you got, but I think that is still going to be my advice. Is yeah, you're 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 going to do it and you've got to just keep telling yourself you're going to do it and and you'll get there. I don't know. I, I think I'm going to get the bumper sticker. Keep on keeping <laughs> on. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh this has been amazing and strangely perfectly timed it's it's how the universe works that that way awesome i'm glad to hear that and thank you for um also reaching out it's really cool to be able to talk about these stories and to hear about your journey coming up yeah i i'm enjoying figuring out my journey as it's coming (laughs) up that's good keep that mindset yeah and actually, this is something I totally forgot to ask you. Um, mm-hmm. So I will addendum this onto the end of the episode where somebody could contact you if 
if you are open to people asking you additional questions about yeah, your absolutely. adventures on the trails. Um, mm-hmm. And so the, the question is, where should they find you? Okay, you can put my, um, you can definitely put my website, which I'll put the contact form. Instagram works too. So I'll, I'll put up the inst- your Instagram travels and trails. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're also your website. Cool. So, well, okay. thank you and, and have a great dinner and, and weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye, Erin. Show notes and links for Lonnie's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Lonnie for sharing her stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you have through hiking adventures to share, we'd love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. If you like what we're doing here, we'd also love it if you could find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail.